When I was a kid, Friday the 13th was my least favorite day. If you don't know my name, it's Jason. And there's reasons for that. You didn't figure that out. I can't believe you've not put this together yet. But Friday the 13th as a kid was my least favorite day to go to school. Because on that day, all of my classmates would suddenly transform into jerks. Because here comes Jason, let's run. Now then, if you are not old enough or did not watch these back then, Jason was the, uh, the antagonist. I don't think that's a quite strong enough word. He was the uh, machete-wielding, axe-murdering psychopath in the, in the Friday the 13th movies. Okay, And so every Friday the 13th would roll around, all of my friends would be like, Ah, Jason's coming, run! And I was ostracized for an entire day. On one day in, in fourth grade, Friday the 13th was coming. And so I went to school, and same thing happened. Ah, oh, Jason's coming, Jason's coming. And so I calmly reached into my backpack, and I pulled out a hockey mask. And I chased that kid out of the school. You know, that mask allowed me to, uh, it allowed me to, to, to change to, to transform. You know, and that's what the original intention of a mask was. You would see uh, an actor in a play would put on a mask that might be made of, uh, of wood or bronze or maybe silver, and they would put the mask on in order to transform their character, to, uh, to be somebody different. Now then, masks today, for the most part, they kind of have a, a different purpose as a lot of people use masks to conceal. They use them to, to cover up and, to, and to, hide, to hide our identity. Now then, I know that none of you ever go to Mardi Gras or anything like that. I know nobody's ever been to that and donned the mask and all that. But you know that that Mardi Gras does happen and you know, you have all these people walking around in masks and you're able to sort of carouse the crowd and look and, you know, not have, not have people know who you are because a mask has concealed your identity. It has covered you. You know, and, and there are uh, more sinister ways to use masks. You think of people that, that break in and do things and they cover their face with some sort of mask and it's to conceal their identity, and then there are evil ways to use masks. You know, you think about the, the cowardice of the clan as they don their masks and they go out and they commit their atrocious acts of, of, of racist evil. Also, their identity is not known. And I wonder, you know, why do they wear a mask to do that? And I think maybe, and I don't know this, but maybe... Deep down inside, it's because they know that what they're doing is wrong. But yet they want to continue to do it. And so they put the mask on. And they go out and they, and they do these things. Well, it's not just those people that wear masks. It's not just people who are in the, the KKK. It's not just people who go out and, and try to rob. There are other people who wear masks. And what I want to say to you today is that a lot of the masks that people wear in our time, you might not be able to see them at first. 
but they are definitely there, and they are the masks of deceit, the mask of, of pretense, the mask of, of lies, the mask that offers a, a, a private reality that is concealed by a public fiction. And what I want to suggest to you this morning, and this, you know, this will step on toes, including mine, is that some of the best mask wearers that I know are people who also have named the name of Jesus. Isn't that sad that we have to say amen to that? But the reason we do is because there's a good bit of truth to that, isn't there? There's a lot of truth to the fact that there are a lot of people who call themselves Christian who wear a mask. And that's what we're going to be talking about from Matthew 5 today. And then we're going to jump into Genesis 3 and, and, and look at something in a minute. And what I want to suggest to you, what I want to suggest to you is that a favorite mask that people wear is the mask that is found in the word fine. You know what I'm talking about? Boy, that was some, that was some uneasy groaning there because you know, you already know what I'm talking about, don't you? Fine is that word. Fine's the word that we say. I mean, somebody asks us how we are and what do we say? A lot of times we say we're fine. And a lot of times... A lot of times it might be true that we're fine. But a lot of times it might be that we are the exact opposite of fine. And so we come in or we run into somebody and they say, hey, how are you doing? And we say, I'm, I'm, I'm fine. It's this word that we use to deflect questions. It's the word that we use to sort of muddy the waters and, and keep people from, from peering too closely into our lives and, and what is going on there. It is, it is a word that we use to hide the real us. It's a word that we use to cover up our, our secrets. It's a word that we use to cover up our, our, our struggles. And it's a word that covers a multitude of sins. We use the word fine. We use that, that mask of fine to deflect questions, to deflect the gaze, to deflect from, from acknowledging or at least speaking the truth about what's really going on with somebody. And, and, and the truth is, we've probably all done this, have we not? I mean, we probably did it today. Hey, how are you? I'm fine. Yeah, I'm fine. And hopefully you are fine. But a lot of times when we say fine, we don't really, we don't really mean fine. Just to give you some examples of, of people who were fine. Um, years ago when I was in college, there was a youth minister who was kind of prominent. And he was doing some really good work. He was drawing a lot of uh, teenagers to him. Their church was, was growing, and, you know, he'd be speaking at all these different places. And I really ad admire him um, because, you know, he, he's doing what I wanted to do back then. 
And one Sunday morning, as the invitation was offered, a woman from the crowd got up and headed down front, and he was startled, and he jumped up, and he chased her all the way down front. The reason why is because they had been having an affair. And he followed her all the way down front, and he said, you cannot say this. You can't talk about this. This is going to destroy my ministry. This is going to ruin my reputation. This is going to rip my family apart. But she grew tired of being fined. And when the invitation was extended, she decided that she was going to take the mask off. And that's exactly what she did. And exactly what he predicted happened. Similar situation. Guy I knew, he lost his dad just kind of unexpectedly. And instead of, of relying on, on God, instead of relying on the love of Jesus, instead of turning to his brothers and sisters to lean on during that time of struggle and that time of grief, he found comfort in the arms of one of his former youth group members. And he had an affair, and the same thing, the same thing happened. I know of another guy who went to a church that had been struggling after, struggling after a split. And he was kind of brought in to, to right the ship. And he was doing some really good work. And the church had kind of turned the corner. And they were doing really, really well. And then one day, he went and he opened up all the gas in his house. He threw gas all over the walls and he soaked towels in it. And he waited for his wife to come home and he lit a match. It killed him instantly. And, you know, you could think that it was a fluke. You know, he's having a bad day, a rough time or whatever. But a few days later when they went into his office, they found on his screensaver a picture of a house that was blowing up. And I was able to talk to some of the people in the aftermath of that, in the immediate aftermath, and, and, and they all said, man, he was fine. He just preached yesterday. He seemed fine. One guy told me, you know, we were supposed to play golf tomorrow. He was absolutely fine. Each week we, we gather. And so many times when people ask us how we are or ask us how things are going in our lives, many times we offer the mask of, I'm fine. And how many times are we not fine? How many times are we just putting on that mask to deflect inner demons? How many times are we putting on that mask to cover up our, our shame and our sorrow and our hurt and our brokenness? How many times do we put on the mask of fine to hide sin and deflect people from prying too deeply into our lives? And so we put on 
we put on the mask that says, I'm fine. And right away, I mean, right away, I want to hit you with a hard question. How many of you are here this morning and you're wearing the mask of fine? The truth is, we've, we've probably all done it. It's in this, this sixth beatitude that is, is really a difficult one. Where Jesus says, blessed are the pure in heart. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. And we think, well, that, that can't be that difficult. But really, and realistically, being pure, you and I both know it is not really an easy thing. Eugene Peterson translates it this way. He says, you're blessed when your inside world, your mind and your heart, put right. Then you can see God in the outside world. And it's that, that inside outside that I want to focus on today. And I'm going to close with a question at the end. And I'll go ahead and just give it to you now. That question is, do our insides match our outsides? Is what is going on on the inside what we see when we interact with, with one another? Or are they different? Are we trying to hide something with a mask? Are we trying to, to, to cover something up? Uh, Martin Lloyd-Jones says this about this particular beatitude. He says, here then... We are face to face with one of the most significant and yet one of the most solemnizing and searching statements, which can be found anywhere in Scripture. And I, I think as we see, as we kind of plumb the depths of what it means to be pure in heart, we'll realize that this statement is a searching statement, that it requires of us as the disciples of Christ to look inside of ourselves and ask ourselves that question do my insides, does what's going on inside of me and in my heart and my mind, does it match what I'm putting out there? Does it match what I'm presenting to the world? Or am I covering it all up? Am I presenting something different? And so Jesus says, blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Now, there's three different kinds of purity that, that, that come to mind when you, you read this verse. And the first is one that uh, is, uh, you know, we, we read a lot about it in the Old Testament. It's sort of the, the ceremonial purity that uh, the people would have to go through, you know, the ritualistic cleansings and the washings before a meal or before or after a sacrifice. They would have to, to purify themselves. Okay, and it could be that one, but Jesus says... Blessed are the pure in what? In, in heart. So it's not likely that that's the one that he has in mind. Well, then there's the second one, and it's, the, it's sort of a, a moral purity. You know, the freedom from, from sin and, and immorality. But Jesus has sort of already covered this one. When he says, you know, we've, we've confessed our sin, we've, you know, we've more than confessed it, we've acknowledged it, we've mourned over it. He says, blessed are 
those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. So we'd kind of be kind of covering some of the same ground. So, so maybe it's not so much that one. Maybe what Jesus is getting at is purity of, of motives. You see, and it's this one that, that builds on integrity. When Jesus says, blessed are the, the pure in heart, what he is saying is, blessed are those who are sincere. Blessed are those who are honest. Blessed are those who have unmixed motives. We go all the way back to the beginning. And we realize that this, this, this motion that we go through of, of putting a mask on, it's not a new thing. It's been around from the very beginning. Genesis, Genesis chapter 1 2, God is creating. He's got Adam and Eve. He places them there in the, uh, in, in the garden of Eden. And they're to be the, the caretaker. They're to be the ones that, that kind of watch over everything. And we read about what life was like. Genesis 2 verse 25 says this, And the man and his wife, say those red words with me, were both naked. Now then, that, you, we must be a little bit ashamed there because I couldn't hardly hear you. So let's say them loud this time, okay? And there's a reason for that, and I'm going to get to it. The man and his wife were what? Both naked. Now, doesn't that just feel weird to say naked in church? It does, doesn't it? Okay, there's a reason for that. Okay, they were naked, yet they're not like us. They were not ashamed. They're both naked, and they're not ashamed. You do realize that Adam and Eve are the charter members of the world's first nudist colony, right? I mean, think about it. They were. There they are in the Garden of Eden. There's nothing between them and the Lord. They're just there. They're naked, and they are not ashamed. You ever had that dream? I, again, I don't even have to say what it is because you know because we've all had that dream. You know, you're on a bus or you're in a car. Or you're standing up to give a presentation. You're in front of your co-workers or your mom or whoever and everybody else is dressed but you it's just you and all your glory and your birthday suits okay and we hate that dream okay we wake up and you're like whoa, 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 what's going on and you pull the covers up tighter you know what i'm saying why is that because we're ashamed adam and eve are in the garden they are completely nude and feel no shame. Life is, is perfect. Now then, do you know why they feel no shame? Because they have nothing to hide. They have nothing to cover up. They have nothing to be ashamed of. They're naked and they felt no shame. That's the way chapter 2 ends. Now then, we know how, how the story goes. The servant comes along, tempts them. They give in. They eat 
of the fruit of the knowledge of good and evil, the one rule that they had, they blew it for everybody, that one rule they could not keep, they ate of that fruit. Now then watch this, Genesis 3, 7. says, Then the eyes of both were opened, say it in red real loud, and they knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made loincloths for themselves. There's a shift that takes place in Eve. It was, hey, about it, got nothing to hide. And then all of a sudden, they, they break the rule, they realize that they've done something. They know they've done something they're not supposed to do. They look around and realize, man, we're naked. And they're ashamed. And they immediately grab fig leaves and they sew them together and they, they, they put them on, they put them on their, their bodies. And you've heard me say this so many times. It's that sin sparks inside of us. Sin sparks inside of us the desire to conceal, the desire to cover up, to hide, to stuff things. That's why when we read a verse, we have to say naked out loud, we don't feel comfortable with it. Because to be naked in front of a crowd would be horrifying. You'd be completely exposed, you would be ashamed. They were naked and felt no shame, yet they broke the rule, and now they're naked and they're ashamed, and so they sow fig leaves together. God shows up for his evening stroll with Adam and Eve. <laughs> they're nowhere to be found. Watch verse uh, 9 and 10. But the Lord called to the man and said to him, Where are you? He said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid, say it with me, because I was naked. And I hid myself. You talk about being afraid. There it is right there. I heard you coming. I was naked, so I hid myself. The days of unadulterated purity, honesty, and openness are gone. Excuse and, and blame and shame have now taken their place. They hid their nakedness, both body and soul. And the thing is, is it doesn't just end there. That's a tradition that, that we've sort of kept alive all these years. It's something that, that we have continued to do. You see, the purity that, that Jesus speaks of which says blessed are the pure in heart for they will see God it has to do with how we deal with sin 
Some will say that the, the opposite of, of, of purity is, is immorality, but it's, it's actually not that. The opposite of, of purity is insincerity. It was Adam's substitute for authentic living. Adam and Eve, they, they, they chose the mask. They chose fine. They chose to hide over integrity. But Adam's solution isn't Jesus' solution. Adam says, hide. Jesus says, be honest. Adam says, says cover it up and conceal. Jesus says, no, expose your sin. Adam says, no, cover it up and play the part of the, the, the hypocrite. And Jesus says, be pure in heart. Because it's the pure in heart and only the pure in heart who will see God. You see, when Jesus says that, when he says, blessed are the pure in heart for they will see God, that's sort of, that's sort of his way of, of saying what you see is what you get. You see, our God is, is, is he's not a concealing God. He's a revealing God. And he's been revealing himself to mankind since we've been on the planet. We see him reveal himself in nature. All we have to do is look around and, you know, we, we're going through the great pollen blizzard of 2016 right now. But it's that pollen that we need to bring about the beauty, right? Okay? It's that pollen that's going to give us that sweet nectar of life, honey. We look around and we see, we see that God is revealing himself. I mean, you can look at those, those Bradford pear trees right now and you can see the blooms that are budding. You can drive through town and you can see the azalea bushes that are beginning to open. You can see the dogwoods getting ready to bloom. And in those ways, God is revealing himself. But in more ways, he's revealed himself to us. He reveals himself to us through His Word, and He's done it over and over and over again. He sent Jesus, and, and part of the role that Jesus played was not just to die for our sins, but to reveal the Father. He says, if you've seen me, then you've seen my Father. And part of our call as followers of Christ is to reveal God. God is not a, a, a concealing God, but He's a loving and a revealing Father. You see, when we encounter the pure heart, you know, when we when we come across someone, and you know, you know what it's like. Someone you meet that is completely honest, completely sincere, you know, there and, and I don't mean somebody that's nice, I mean somebody that is sincere. Somebody who does struggle, but they're honest about their struggles, and they know that they need Jesus. They're not trying to mask things. They're not trying to put on a facade or put up a wall. They are completely honest, a pure heart. 
They're not trying to, to, to pull a fast one on you. They don't have some sort of ulterior motive. You see, when we encounter the pure heart, it's then that we see God. But also, when we have that pure heart, that heart of unmixed motives, we also reveal God. You see, we get to play a process in the revealing of who God is. Does it do good for the church when we cover things up and are not honest about who we are and about what we are and all those things, and then all of a sudden it just comes tumbling out? Does that do good for the church? It hurts the church. I would rather go to church with people who know they are sinners and admit they are sinners, and look like sinners, than people who have it all together. Wouldn't you? Because somebody who is not being honest about their sin, not being honest about their lives, it's hard to work with somebody like that. God says it's hard to work with somebody like that, but somebody who is open and honest and, and coming before, God and sharing their burdens with one another and telling them this is how I'm struggling how much easier is it to approach somebody like that when you blow it it is so much easier and I'll be honest from one sinner I'm completely proud to go to, the, go to church with the rest of you sinners. Okay? Understand what I'm saying. Because I think there's an atmosphere when you say, you know what, I don't have it together. I need Jesus. I've blown it so many times. And we have got to We've got to get our churches to the place where we don't ridicule, where we don't make fun of, where we don't use against somebody something that they have shared that has gone on in their life. That's not what the church is for. In fact, I might argue that that might not even be a church. Okay? But we've got to get the church to the place where openness, and honesty, and struggles, and, and, and sin, and brokenness, and hurt are, are, are safe. And that when we're together, this is sacred space, and we can bring those things forward and say, look, I need help because I'm struggling, and I'm not going to make it on my own. Okay, And I know that you've struggled. I know that you've been there. I know that God has led you out because you've shared about those things. And you know how to do it. And you can help me. And because you trusted me enough to share with it, I can trust you enough to share with you the junk and the garbage and the mess that I've got going on in my own life. I mean, that's part of the reason why we're, why we're going through the exercise of, uh, of writing psalms of lament. 
it's not easy. It is not easy to look in on yourself and be honest with yourself and then share it with other people. Right? That's not an easy thing. But I would say that that is much easier than trying to constantly keep up the act. You know what I'm saying? The mask on, perpetuating the lie, having to constantly keep it going, having to think about what did I say here? Did I say something else? Did I keep the ma- I mean, did I keep the farce going? You ever had to string out a story like that for days and days on end? It's exhausting. It is mentally exhausting. Now here's our growth point for the day. To see God, we must take off the mask and be honest with ourselves both inside and out. Our insides need to match our outsides. Does that make sense? Because a lot of times our insides don't match our outsides. We've got struggle, we've got pain, we've got hurt, we've got strife, we've got brokenness, all those things that I continually mention. We have, uh, we, we have sin, we have temptations, But a lot of times, what do we present to the world? I'm, I'm fine. I got it all together. Things are good. I'm able to keep all the balls in the air. I'm perfectly fine. You ever, you ever ask somebody how they're doing? They said, I'm fine. Yeah, you sound fine. To truly see God requires a pure heart. The pure heart is the one that removes the mask of fine, removes the mask of deceit and lies and deception and all of that stuff and brings that brokenness before God and allows Him to deal with us through Jesus. It's only then that we can see God. So the question, does your inside match your outside? Or are you fine? Is there something that you are concealing from other people? Are you presenting one fictitious reality in the eyes of your co-workers and your, maybe your family and your friends and your neighbors. But you know there's a true, darker reality when you're alone. If, if that's the case, then you're constantly wearing the mask and you're constantly going through that, that, that mental 
gymnastics. And you've got to be completely exhausted. Why not let all that go? Why not be honest before God? Because God already knows. Why not share your burdens with a, with a brother or with a sister? Why not find some accountability? Why not find somebody who has, has been through something that you're going through instead of trying to, 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 to pull yourself up by your own bootstraps and do it yourself, which you know you're not going to be able to do anyway? I think find is one of the most dangerous words in the English language. And I pray that, really, I pray that none of us are, are fine in the context in which we're using it this morning. Do your insides match your outsides? The only way they can is through Jesus. Jesus is the only one that can clean us up on the inside. And get the inside to match the outside. You know, that's what he said to the Pharisees. You're like whitewashed tombs on the outside. They're beautiful and they're ornate. But on the inside, they're, they're full of dead men's bones. He's saying your insides don't match your outsides. He's saying you're not pure in heart. Jesus calls us to be pure in heart, pure in motive, un unmixed motives if there's something that you're holding on I encourage you please don't keep up that exhausting way of life anymore bring it to Jesus because Jesus is mighty to save everybody struggles everybody sins everybody needs compassion of Jesus and you know that you have the ability to keep from coming in contact with it? Just by masking. But there's something that you need to allow Jesus to deal with. You need Jesus to remake you. Bring your life and lay it before him this morning. Confess Jesus. Identify with him through baptism. Have your sins washed away. Or if you've got a struggle, come and just say, hey, look, this is what I'm dealing with. I need some help. But don't go away. Don't wear a mask out of here that maybe you came in with. If we can help you, if we can pray for you, why don't you come while we stand and while we sing?